And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. The tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, Movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Jack Webb gives us just the facts on Dragnet from 1951. But first, it's TV Jeopardy. Lisa Wolf Trebek will play audio clips from popular TV shows. I'll try to name the shows while you play along at home, right, Lisa? That's right. We're going to have a little fun here, Carl. These TV shows all have the word family in the title. Family. And you definitely know all of these. So okay. we're just going to have a little fun, take a really? trip down memory lane. Family. I can well, think whatever of... you guess, it's on, it's on my list. All right. So let's go for the first family show. She felt Luke was the weird one. Luke. Her kid gets his head stuck in the furniture. And Manny is the different one. I will tell you what's weird. Our son is not weird. What's weird is that her kid wears aftershave and dresses like a count. I think we should cancel with them for the barbecue. If we cancel, it'll just make this a bigger deal than it is. It'll be good for Luke and Manny to spend some time. Yeah, I got this one. I know you Might be good for you and Gloria, too. I got it. You love this show. I got it. This is definitely Modern Family. Modern Family is correct. ABC for 11 seasons from 2009 to 2020. Mm. Wow. wow, and I know it's in that syndication long. now. It's still on. Like Eleven or twelve years there. If well, I did that's my pretty math. Pretty good math. There. <laughs> that's well, math pretty was darn one of my... great. It won twenty-two Emmy awards and a Golden Globe, and yeah. uh, back in two thousand eleven. I think there's so. someone on that show that has two Golden Globes. But uh, she I will couldn't imagine who you would nameless. be referring to. Svesavagaria <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to say her name, but mm-hmm, anyway. That's her. Mm-hmm. And she was... She uh, wears them proudly. She was a judge on uh, America's Got Talent. Oh, really? She is a judge. Yeah. Yeah, so you could watch her there, she's too, if you on, haven't had she's enough. She's good on that show. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she, she's, she's great. She's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> I, all I know. I'm one for one. <laughs> no, this is not a competition. You'll get all of these. Here's the next one. Hey, what's wrong, Peter? I miss my friends, Brian. I mean, I was having fun with those Nielsen boxes, but what's the point if I don't got Joe and Quagmire to enjoy it with me? I guess I shouldn't have messed with television. Well, it's not exactly your fault. The networks never should have listened to you in the first place. This is exactly what makes bad television, pandering to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know this one. I know you do. My good buddy, my good buddy, good Adam. Putty. My good buddy Adam West was on this show for a while. That's, that's right. Family Guy. Family Guy, that's right. And this series premiered in 1999. Mm-hmm. And in January 23, Fox announced the series has been renewed for seasons 22 and seasons 23, which brings it 
through the 24-25 television season, wow. so still ongoing with new One episodes. One of the funniest shows on television. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All and, right. And I miss two Mayor two. West. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, here's the next family show. Until you are ready to apologize to me, I am done speaking with you. Oh, I didn't realize you'd started speaking with me. What is that supposed to mean? The past two days, Alex, you have complained to me, grunted at me, lectured to me, and presented me with ultimatums, but not once. Not, not once have you even come close to talking with me. I know this one. Semantics. I sat in, uh, in the audience of one of these one time years and I years ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's Family Ties. Family Ties is right. NBC for seven seasons, 82 to 89. And that was Michael J. Fox in that clip, along with uh, Meredith Baxter. Ah, mm. Baxter Bernie. Yes, I used to watch that show religiously. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. All right, here's your next family show. Okay. Top six answers on the board. What's the worst thing to find inside of your house? <laughs> Spider. Roaches. Roaches. Spider. Roaches. Roaches are bad, too. Roaches are bad. A rat. Hey, a rat would not What's be good. What's the worst thing to find inside your house? A burglar, Steve. A burglar. <laughs> That's not good either. That's not good either. <laughs> either. All right, so I know that one. Okay. That's definitely... Family Feud. Family, Family feud, feud is exactly right. Now, that was Steve Harvey hosting. Yeah. That was a more current episode. Right. Uh, he started in 2010. He's currently hosting. Of course, it started with Richard Dawson. Yeah. Ray Combs, Who used to actually. kiss everyone. Yes. This is pre-COVID. Yeah, I don't think, even pre-COVID, it's just not okay anymore. Just... To kiss. And he used to kiss them on the lips. I know. He would be like, I know, and the and the women were all. They were well, like, oh. There had to be some women were that like, weren't okay with it. He used to kiss every woman yeah, on well, that show, that and multiple times. Yes, ew. and multiple yes. women. I ew, mean, just ew. <laughs> it's a lot of germs. It's a lot of germs. All right, last one. Mom, Daddy, this is Michael Stivic. Michael, <laughs> this is my mother, Mrs. Bunker. Hi, how are you? How do you do? <laughs> and my father, Mr. Bunker. Daddy, this is Michael Stivic. Uh, Michael. All right, Gloria, we done that. <laughs> I think we all know who everybody is now. <laughs> I knew everybody before. I knew everybody before. <laughs> oh, it's so oh, wonderful. Oh, my gosh. That is so one of the funniest shows of all time. Yes. All in the family. Yes, and that was very early on because she was introducing Rob yeah. Reiner, of course, <laughs> to her parents. So. Yeah. Uh, a nine seasons CBS from seventy one to seventy nine. Um, what a show! It's uh, it's great. All right, well I got them all. I right, knew you saw... would. All in fun. Nice job. All <laughs> that right, was great. When we come back, Jack Webb stars in Dragnet, going back to nineteen fifty one. Stick around. More Hollywood three sixty after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, this is Hollywood 360. My co-host is Lisa Wolf, our executive producer, the very talented Mike Bubblebath Costella. That's your team here. And my crabby brother, Vince. I mean, he's listening, and he does help on the show. But he's so crabby, we don't let him in the studio anymore, you know? He's just... Yeah, yes. you have a lot of crabby friends I, I like to keep out I of the too. studio. Maybe that's we'll why we'll leave I'm, them nameless. <laughs> once in a while, I'm a little crabby too because I can it rubs off on me. Maybe I is that why? Could I be. just thought you were just like that. Could be. 
Jack Webb. I don't think he was crabby. He probably, probably was not. really great to work with. I know Peggy Weber, our good pal Peggy, she used to work with Jack Webb. She said he was a genius. She loved working for him. Oh, I know a lot of people we've worked with who are geniuses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. In the past. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And Jack Webb created probably the most famous police procedural of all time, Dragnet. Came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1957 on radio, and nine seasons on radio. It's a long time. And they were true crime stories of closed cases from the FBI, uh, I should say, from the files of the LAPD. And Jack Webb uh, played L.A. Police Detective Sergeant Joe Friday. Each case was detailed from start to finish. It was like no other show, really. I mean, it was just so great. It was so realistic. And they used five sound effects persons. You know, most shows had one or two Five on Dragnet. You can tell. You can hear all the sound effects. Just listen to this show. All the sound effects you will hear. Let's go back to September 6th, 1951, for The Big 17, starring Jack Webb. Here is part one of Dragnet. The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Juvenile Bureau. A series of crimes suddenly starts among teenage children in your city. Robberies, burglaries, bodily assault. There doesn't seem to be any reason for it. The crime wave grows. Your job? Stop it. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, April 10th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Stein. My name's Friday. It was 10.27 p.m. when I got to 1335 Georgia Street, second floor, the squad room. Joe, that you? Yeah, you ready? Yeah, half a minute. All right. Let me get my coat on here. Did you leave a note for McNamara? Yeah, all set. All right, let's hurry, huh? Yeah, same neighborhood we had the trouble Monday night? Uh-huh. Sounds like the same gang, too. These kids are sure moving fast. Go ahead. Yeah. What is it this time? Movie theater on West Fremont. Small neighborhood house. Oh, mm-hmm. They had a crowd of 15 to 20 kids in there tonight. Mixed group, boys and girls. For no reason at all, they started to tear the place up. Did they do much damage? Well, I don't know. We can see when we get there. He told me on the phone the theater manager tried to quiet the kids down. Half a dozen boys piled all over them. One of them pulled a knife. They tore up a couple of seats up in the balcony, moved out into the lobby, smashed mirrors and lamps. They beat up one of the ushers. Lousy little punks. Where'd you park the car? Straight back. I'd give a right arm to know how this thing got started. We've never had much trouble from the kids in that neighborhood out there, not till this last month. Seem to be going crazy. Well, it's not getting any better. Burglaries, car thefts, wrecking property. Somebody's going to come out on the short end if it keeps up. It's got to happen. Maybe it already has. When they were ripping up that theater lobby tonight, one kid got hurt. What happened? It's a 14-year-old boy. In the mix-up, he got shoved through a display case, plate glass. 
Cut up pretty bad? His eyes. They're not sure he'll see again. In police work, the standard law of cause and effect works like it does for everything else. When a crime's committed, there's a cause behind it. There's a reason for it. And when a group of normally well-behaved kids in an average residential neighborhood start running wild, there's got to be a reason for that, too. A month before, a rash of auto thefts, petty stealing, and public disturbances had broken out suddenly in the particular neighborhood. All of the incidents were traced directly to the teenagers in the area. Why the kids had suddenly decided to run wild, we didn't know, but the amount and the nature of the violations kept getting more serious. Juveniles who'd previously been picked up for petty thefts and placed on probation were now committing burglaries. Auto thefts in the area had jumped 20%. Misconduct and drunk charges against the teenagers, girls and boys alike, increased by the week. We had a fair idea what the root of all the trouble was, but so far we hadn't been able to trace it. 10.45 p.m., we got to the neighborhood movie theater on West Fremont and we went inside. The lobby was a shambles. Two large mirrors had been shattered, lamps and sofas overturned and broken. The lobby candy counter had been wrecked completely. The glass showcases were caved in, a popcorn machine was smashed, the soft drink cooler turned on its side. The last showing of the feature picture was still going on. We interviewed the theater manager in the lobby, a Mr. Clyde Barton. They got real foul mouth. One or two of the girls, too. Some of the language I wouldn't even use at a stag party. I got so mad I grabbed two of the noisy ones by the neck and told them to get out. That's when it broke loose. Well, what exactly happened? The whole crowd of them jumped out of their seats and piled on me. I fell back down against the stairs and I started swinging. I'll tell you the truth, Sergeant, I was scared. I didn't know what to make of them. They seemed like a pack of animals, wild. I happened to hit this one kid and I saw him pull out a knife and come at me. Mm -hmm. Didn't take me too long to get out of there. Kids or not, when a bunch of them like that come after you, you run. Yes, sir. You called for the police as soon as all this happened? You bet I did. Just as soon as I could get out into the lobby and into my office. I locked the door. I could hear them tearing the place up outside. Mm -hmm. Just look at that. Smashed up everything in sight. I have to have something like this happen. Look at this candy stand. Yes, sir. Well, how about some of the kids you recognize in that crowd, Miss Borden? Oh, say, the last show's ready to break. Folks are going to be coming out. You want to step back here into my office? We can talk there and be out of the way. Oh, yeah, before sure, I sign. And here we are. Now pull up a chair for yourself, officers. Yeah, thank you. I just got the feeling there's something radically wrong going on with those kids. This is the first time you've ever had any trouble of any real size, is that right? Yeah. Well, once in a while, the kids fool around in the show talking loud, you know, but nothing like this. Oh, see, Fred, my usher, and the way they messed him up, brutal. And that little 14-year-old they shoved through the glass showcase. It'll be a real mess if he doesn't pull through. I was going to ask you, sir, about the kids in that crowd you recognize. You haven't known any of their names? Sure thing. I made a list of them while you were on the, the way over here. I got a half dozen of them more. That's another thing I can't understand. Yeah, what's that, sir? When these kids start running wild, no matter what they do, they don't seem to care if they're recognized or not. You'd think if they wanted to raise the devil, they'd go over to some other neighborhood, some place where people didn't know them. They just don't seem to care. Yes, sir. We've had the same report from a couple of other business people in the neighborhood here. Mr. Barton, you probably have a pretty fair opportunity to watch the kids around here from time to time. I mean, running the theater here. I mm, sure do. Most of them are in here once a week anyway. Some of the kids I've known since they were in knee pants. Well, have you any idea at all what's behind all this trouble? I mean, any real indication? Maybe I'm just the uh, suspicious kind, but I've got an idea, all right. 
And here, I'll, I'll get that list of names for you at the same time. Now, there, there they are. Seven names in all. Every one of those kids was in that gang tonight. I can give you a hand tracking down their addresses. Oh, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, something else. Here's what I was talking about. What's this, sir? In that scramble in the lobby tonight, this little box fell out of one of the kids' pockets. One of the ushers picked it up, brought it into me. Have a look inside. Mm -hmm. Well? Mm -hmm. I don't know too much about it, Sergeant, but I got a hunch. I don't think I made a mistake. Yeah. What do you think? No, sir, no mistake. It's marijuana. We finished interviewing the theater manager, Clyde Barton, and then we talked to the usher, Donald Masters, who recovered the small box containing the marijuana from the floor of the lobby. He told us he recognized the young fellow who dropped the box, but he wasn't sure. He said the boy's name was Harold Everson, one of the names which appeared on the list which the theater manager, Mr. Barton, had given us. Half an hour later, Ben and I located the Everson boys' home. It was a two-story frame colonial-style house in a better-than-average section of the area. The boy's father answered the door, a Harold Everson senior. We told him what we wanted. A little late to be making routine calls, don't you think? People have to get their sleep. Why can't you let it wait until morning? It's not a routine call, Mr. Everson. I'd like to see your son if he's home. Harry, what do you have to see him about? Well, do you have any idea where your boy spent his time tonight, sir? He said he was going down to the gym, play a little basketball, and he was going to the library. It's a school night. He had studying to do. I think maybe you ought to keep a little closer check on your son, sir. That's not the way we get it. What are you getting at? I trust my boy. He said he was going to the gym and into the library. He's got no reason to lie about it. They had a minor riot at the neighborhood movie down on West Fremont tonight. Gang of high school kids ran wild and wrecked the place. What's that got to do with Harry? A couple of people recognized him among the gang of kids. They said he did his share of wrecking along with the rest of them. Couldn't be. It's a lie. Harry didn't go to the show tonight. He told me when he got home, he even had his books with him. He spent the night at the library. Uh, I'd like to have you take a look at this, Mr. Everson. Huh? This box here. Would you recognize this at all? Yeah. Same kind of box my stomach pills come in. Got a little acid condition in my stomach. I take these pills for it. What's all this have to do with Harry? I'm going to open the box for you, Mr. Everson. There you I go. don't get it. What is this stuff? Someone saw your son drop the box in the lobby of the theater tonight. The box contains marijuana. It's stupid. It couldn't be right. I haven't got that kind of a boy. I know it isn't right. Do you mind if we talk to your son? Maybe he can explain it for us. Just a minute, I'll get him down here. All right, sir. Have a chair if you want. Thank you. Sure a nice place, huh, Joe? Yeah, beautiful furniture, isn't yeah, it? There's nothing like period furniture. Never goes out of date. Be just as much in style ten years from now as it is today. Mm -hmm. We better be sure and tag by Georgia Street Hospital on the way back and see how that kid's doing. You know, the one that was hurt at the show. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is my boy, Harry, officer. Oh, Harry? Hello. How are you, sir? Harry just told me, officers, he doesn't know what this is all about. He was at the library, like I said. Well, sure, I was there till they closed. Somebody made a mistake. I wasn't at the show tonight. But Harry, do you know Mr. Barton, the man who runs the theater? Yeah, I know him. Why? Well, he swears you were there tonight. So does one of the ushers. Who? Boy by the name of Donald Masters. He says he knows you pretty well. I don't know any Donald Masters. You go to the same high school together, son. You're in the same class. I told you, I don't know any Donald Masters. What about this, Harry? Huh? This box here. Do you recognize this? No. What's the matter, son? What is it, Harry? What's wrong with you? Nothing. I don't know whose it is. It's not mine. Was lost in the lobby of the theater tonight. Master says he saw you drop it. He's lying. I hate the kid's guts anyway. He's lying. Thought you said you didn't know him, son. What's wrong with you? 
What are you shaking for? What kind of a story are you trying to tell? I didn't mean it, Dad. The kid got the stuff for me. I didn't mean to get it. I didn't mean to, Dad. It's beginning to look like I'm the dummy of the family. Huh? Take it easy, Mr. Everson. Harry, you're a liar. Kid got the stuff for me. That is the truth. I didn't buy it. You want him downtown, officer? Afraid so, Mr. Everson. I'd like to have you come down with him. Get your clothes on. Go back to your room and get your clothes on. Okay, Dad. Hard to believe. My son using marijuana. I can't tell you how I feel. I'm afraid there's going to be more folks feeling the same way before this is thing now. It'd be different if Harry didn't have a chance, but good home, good training. The boys had the best I could give him. Yes, sir. Wife and I, we never thought we had a worry in the world as far as Harry was concerned. Yes, sir. Maybe that's why it happened. And now it's legal. Ay, that's ay, right. Ay, gosh, I don't know. I'm listening to the show and I'm just shaking my head. Do you think it shouldn't be legal? No, of course not. But that's... Well, I, I believe it's a gateway drug to other drugs. That's just the way I... I think it should I'm be sure legal, but sure we could a have a conversation should out there. It should not be legal. No, it should be. No, it shouldn't be. Okay. Anyway, that's the big 17 that is on Dragnet, September 6, 1951. It's so crazy. You and I are best friends, but we're like diametrically opposed on so many things. Isn't it? It's crazy. Not so many, just a few. All right, we'll be right back. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Yes, indeed, we're back. This is Hollywood 360. We're listening to Dragnet. Before we get back to Dragnet, though, I want to remind everyone about our podcast. It's absolutely free. Anywhere in the world you can hear Radio Rarities. It's a podcast that Lisa and I co-host. Mike produces it. And Carl Shadow, who is one of the foremost authorities on classic radio and all things historical about these classic radio shows, he writes it, and I'm telling you, he does an amazing job. He really delves deep and goes to the Library of Congress and finds out all these amazing, hidden, unknown facts about these classic radio shows. So if you're a lover of uh, these nostalgia broadcasts and you want to listen to our free podcast, it's called Radio Rarities. It's available everywhere that podcasts are disseminated. You can uh, go to Google or Apple or Spotify or iHeart, anywhere, or you can just search it. Just go onto your computer 
on um, you know Google or Yahoo or any of your search uh, tools and just type in Radio Rarities, Radio Rarities, and it'll pop up. You'll actually see a picture of Lisa and I on the logo, and um, and just listen to them. They're free. And uh, sometimes we, like, I, I just, Mike just did, you know, we're, of course, way in advance of what we release. Mike just did the origin or audition episode of Suspense on Forecast. And I know a lot of people may have heard that show. You know, Alfred Hitchcock was the host. Herbert Marshall is the star of it. It was The Lodger. It was a very, it was the audition show for Suspense. And then later Suspense became a series. But you haven't heard all the background information that Lisa and I give you, right, Lisa? Yeah, I learn a lot, actually. I didn't know any of that information, really. So it really um, is a way to appreciate the show even more deeply when you really have a you know a lens into what was going on with the characters and with the show and with what's going on in the world at the time. And you put all those things together, and you hear this radio show, and you really appreciate it in a different light. Yeah. And uh, and as I said, it's free. There's no cost to listen to it. Just go to anywhere podcasts are heard and search Radio Rarities. Now, here's the deal. The ones that you can hear free out there in Radioland or anywhere in the globe is uh, is several weeks behind the ones that we put as part of the podcast of the Hollywood 360 podcast. So for those who are podcast subscribers of Hollywood 360 and those who are Classic Radio Club members, you are getting the most current Radio Rarities podcast attached to the Hollywood 360 podcast. To learn all about that, just go to Hollywood360radio.com. That's our website. And um, subscribe to our podcast. Get our full five-hour show sent to you via email every Monday along with the latest Radio Rarities podcast. You can sign on and uh, subscribe via online or call our uh, number, 815-900-7535. Speak to a live operator. And if a live operator doesn't answer, just leave your phone number and your name, and someone will return your call, usually within 24 hours, and uh, answer any questions you might have and sign you up. Get the full five-hour podcast plus radio rarities sent to your email on a link that never expires so you can listen to our show anytime you'd like just go uh, to hollywood360radio.com or call 815-900-7535 815-900-7535 all right we're listening to dragnet this is called the big 17 and uh it's about uh drugs and you know drugs have been around Unfortunately, a long, long time. This is a 1951 broadcast, September 6th to be exact. Here's the conclusion now to Dragnet. Before we left the Everson house, we checked the boy's room and came up with another small box full of marijuana, which he'd hidden back in his closet. Besides Everson and his son, Harry, more than a half a dozen other teenagers who'd had a part in the theater brawl were rounded up and taken downtown along with their fathers for interrogation. By the time we finished our questioning and the teenagers had finished talking, we had most of the story pieced together. A story that had the parents so amazed that half of them thought the youngsters were making it up. The pattern was familiar enough for us to know that they were telling the truth. Almost two months before, word had gone around among the teenagers in the neighborhood that marijuana, along with various stimulating drugs, was to be had easily and in quantity for anybody who wanted them. 
Word was passed around that it was the new thing to do, the smart thing to do if you wanted to keep up with the crowd. In questioning the Everson boy, we found that he seemed to know more about the history and operations of the narcotics campaign in the neighborhood than the other boys did. I know one of the guys who first showed up with the stuff, named Johnny Demering. He's about my age, 17. I used to know him pretty well. How do you mean he was the first to show up with this stuff, Harry? What kind of stuff? Marijuana. Some of the other things, you know, yellow jackets, goofballs. More of the kids go for them than they do for marijuana. Do the youngsters know what these goofballs are made of, son? Do they know what they are? Well, it's dope, I guess. Narcotics. The kids get a big kick out of them. I guess that's all they care. Mm-hmm. Mr. Johnny Demering, does he sell the stuff around the neighborhood, Harry? Yeah, he was the first one. He's got a couple of other kids selling for him now. A couple of them are girls. They sell a lot for him. Johnny makes pretty good money. Yeah, I guess he does. Where does he get the stuff from, you know? No, I wouldn't know that. Someplace downtown. Johnny knows a guy. He's never told anybody where he goes to meet the guy. Nobody ever goes with him. Was Johnny at the show with you tonight? No, he doesn't hang around with the kids much anymore. He's getting a little big time, I think. He's got his own car and good-looking girlfriend downtown. Says he's going to quit school next month. Mm-hmm. Where does Johnny live, son? Can you tell us? I don't know the address right off. I can check it in the phone book for you. How about the kids Johnny gets to sell the stuff? Can you give us their names? Yeah, okay. I think I can remember who they are. You gonna bring Johnny in and talk to him? That's the idea, yeah. I don't know if you're gonna find him right away. He probably heard about the trouble tonight, and Johnny's a pretty smart guy. I don't think you'll find him very easy. I think we'll find him. Nobody knows much about him. He never talks about what he's doing. He never tells anybody anything. Pretty smart guy. He told you. How smart was that? Complete statements were taken from each of the youngsters we brought in for questioning, and then in practically all cases, they were released into the custody of their parents pending action by the juvenile court. With the information we had at hand, it took us the better part of four days to round up everybody involved in the narcotics distribution system, which had been set up among the teenagers in the neighborhood by 17-year-old Johnny Demering. As for the Demering boy himself, he couldn't be found. We checked with his family, his relatives, his friends, all his known associates. We got out a want for him. Then we checked the car that he owned through DMV. We got out a warrant for that. No sign of the boy. Narcotics detail gave us a hand and got their informants busy trying to track down the source of the dope for which the Demering boy had been the only neighborhood distributor. We knew it went far beyond him. It reached to the same vicious men who make their money off the hopeless adult drug addict. The same vicious men who today are trying to build a new market for their wares among the young people of this country. Tuesday, April 29th. 2.30 p.m. I'll get it. Right. Juvenile Bureau, Romero. Oh, yeah, Brady. Yeah, uh-huh. That's right. What's his name? Yeah, yeah, okay, right away. Right, go ahead. It's Brady from Narcotics. They figured they got our man. The Demering boy? No, the guy who pushed the stuff to Demering. Mm -hmm. His name's Jocko Harris. They found him in the county hospital this morning. Yeah. Somebody got a hold of him two nights ago and gave him a good working over. We're lucky we're making. What do you mean? He's not supposed to last out the day. 2.35 p.m. Ben and I left the office and went immediately to the county hospital where we were allowed to briefly interview the narcotics suspect, Jocko Harris. He was in a critical condition with a fracture of the skull. He gave us a statement in the form of a dying declaration. He admitted being the contact man for 17-year-old Johnny Demering, and he admitted also that he had kept the boy supplied with enough narcotics to keep the neighborhood teenage demand for the stuff fully satisfied. Seemed like a good kid. Never thought he'd turn. What do you mean, Jocko? How'd he turn? Why do you think I'm here? You mean he's the one who worked you over? Yeah. Where is he, Jocko? Do you know? 
No. Do you know where he's staying? Do you have any idea at all? No. Stole all my stuff. Every ounce. What was it, heroin? Yeah. Listen. Yeah? Get him. Fast. He's got enough junk to start a war. April 30th, 9 a.m., the hunt for 17-year-old Johnny Demering was intensified. To our knowledge, because of the information we'd gained from narcotics peddler Jocko Harris, the teenage youngster had a large store of high-grade heroin, which we knew, because of his inexperience, he was unaccustomed to dealing with. In his hands, the narcotics immediately became a lethal weapon. We knew that Johnny Demering had only one market to deal in, only one type of customer he was acquainted with, the teenager. In previous transactions, we knew that the youngsters received only a low-grade type of narcotic, highly diluted. We knew that if Demering succeeded in dispensing the highly concentrated store that he had on hand, and the juvenile customers he served tried it on themselves, it would very likely result in death. 3 p.m. Wednesday, despite all our efforts, Johnny Demering and the store of high-grade narcotics which he'd hijacked from Jocko Harris were still missing. Wednesday, 12 noon, we began rechecking every one of the possible sources that might lead us to the suspect. One of them was the boy's mother, Mrs. Frances Demering. We talked to her at work. She was employed as a multigraph operator in the mailing department of a large downtown department store. Not since the last time you talked to me, Sergeant. I haven't heard a word from my boy, nothing at all. Have you heard anything? Well, yes, ma'am, in a way. We've got an idea he's still somewhere in the city. That's why we figured we'd come back and talk to you again. Have you been in touch with your relatives in town recently, Miss Demering? I mean, those that Johnny might possibly contact? Yes, well, there's just my sister and my mother. Yes, ma'am. I guess it just wasn't to be right from the start. Johnny's father ran away, you know. Tried my best after that. Never seemed to be enough. Suppose there's no getting away from it. A boy needs a father. You can try all you want. They still need a father. Some kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. How about the relatives you have out of town, Miss Demering? Any word from them at all about Johnny? No, Sergeant, nothing. Would you excuse me, please? This run here is finished. I have to get it off the machine. Sure, I'll go right ahead. Yes, a terrible thing, Johnny getting mixed up in all this. Seems no matter how you try, it's never enough. Never enough. Do you have any idea at all where Johnny would most likely go in town if he didn't want to be seen, Mrs. Demery? Where he'd go? No, I wouldn't know that, Sergeant. First place, Johnny's never really been in trouble before. Well, how about Johnny's school friends, ma'am? Would there be any one of them he might possibly contact in the jam? None that I haven't told you about before, I don't think. Evelyn. She's the only one I suppose Johnny'd go to if he needed help, if he was in trouble. That's his girlfriend at the high school, isn't it, Evelyn Maxwell? Yes, that's right. Sweet girl. How about a girlfriend Johnny was supposed to have downtown somewhere, Mrs. Demering? Would you know anything about her? Nothing really, no. Name was Betty, I think. You have no idea where she lived downtown? No, I don't, Sergeant. Well, all right, ma'am. Thank you very much. Appreciate it if you'd notify us if you hear anything about your son at all. All right, Sergeant. Thank you. Tomorrow's Johnny's birthday, you know. I meant to tell you. Always expect Johnny home on his birthday. Seems no matter where he is, how he's tied up with his school or sports or something, Johnny always makes it home for his birthday. I see. I wonder how it'll be tomorrow. He's never missed once. Not once. Well, if he shows up, I guess you can count on one thing, ma'am. What's that? He's going to have to miss next year. 
2 p.m. Ben and I picked up a glass of milk and a hot dog for lunch, and then we continued making a check of Johnny Demering's closest friends. Next in line after his mother was Demering's high school girlfriend, Evelyn Maxford. We located her at her home, a tall, attractive brunette, nicely dressed and well-mannered. She seemed unusually nervous as we interviewed her. I haven't heard a word, Sergeant. I know tomorrow's his birthday. The mother's expecting him home. I know he won't come, though. Sure of that. How are you sure, miss? Well, I just know that's all. I'd like to ask you again. Yes? Are you sure you haven't heard from Johnny Demering recently in the past two days or so? No, that's what I told you. Don't you believe me? Do you know why we're so anxious to locate Johnny, Miss Maxman? Well, I think so. It's about the narcotics business. You say Johnny had a hand in it. He was selling those things to the kids. I still don't believe it myself. It's a lot more than that, the way it stands now, Miss Maxman. What do you mean? Well, when he was at school, Johnny was kept supplied with narcotics by a man named Jocko Harris. He's what we call a pusher, kind of an in-between supply man in the narcotics trade. Mm -hmm. Well, two nights ago, Johnny caught up with this Harris. He beat him up badly enough to send him to the hospital with a fractured skull. And then Johnny stole every bit of narcotics that Harris had in his room, some of the strongest stuff you can buy on the market. That's why we want Johnny, Miss Maxwell. I don't think I understand. What does it mean? It means that most of the teenage kids Johnny's been supplying stuff to have been getting fairly weak grades in narcotics. If he gets some of this stuff to them and the kids start taking it, it might prove too strong for them. If they take too much of it, it could kill them outright. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you see what we're up against. We've got to find that boy. We've got to find him soon. Couldn't you talk to his mother? Maybe she could tell you something. Well, we already have, miss. She couldn't tell us anything. That's why we halfway depended on you. Why do they have to put it in my lap? Why does it have to be me? I like Johnny for a while. I don't know what to think now. Well, have you heard from him, Miss Maxford? Now, there's no reason to be afraid. You'd probably feel a lot worse if something happened to one of the high school kids, wouldn't you? Miss Maxford? I got a call from him yesterday. Johnny. He wouldn't tell me where he was. I asked him, but he wouldn't tell me. What else did he say? He knows everybody's looking for him. He doesn't know about the stuff that he stole, though. I'm sure of that. He doesn't know what it could do. Well, did he make any dates with you? Did he want to see you? Yes, he wants to see me. He wants me to meet him tonight. Where? Excuse me. Yes, go ahead. Hello? Yes? I don't know. I don't really. What? Seven o'clock, all right. Yes, yes, I'll meet you then. All right, goodbye. That was Johnny just then. He wanted to make sure I was going to meet him tonight. When? Seven o'clock tonight, right near Westlake Park. Which side, miss? The west side, Sergeant. I hope to God it's not true. What's that? The narcotics he stole from that man. You said they were powerful? Yes, we did. Johnny's been taking them for two days. 6.45 p.m. Together with two other men from Juvenile Bureau, Hurst and Ty, we drove near the appointed spot along the lake in Westlake Park where Evelyn Maxford's meeting with the teenage suspect, Johnny Demering, was to take place. We staked out at a reasonable distance and Miss Maxford went ahead to the meeting spot. As far as we could see, there was no sign of Demering. Somebody on the opposite side of the lake was playing a phonograph. The music came over faintly across the water. We watched the Maxford girl cross the long stretch of grass down to the lake. She approached the shore. We saw her stop and look down. Sure, let's go. Come on. Yeah. We ran all the way as fast as we could get there. When we got close enough, we found out the reason for the scream. He was lying face up on the ground near the edge of a small clump of trees close to the water. He was a good-looking boy, dark hair, good build. Took only one look and you knew right away he was too young to be dead. You could argue for a week, but you wouldn't change it. He was dead. The girl stood over him, her face in her hands, crying. No marks on the body, Joe, none at all. That must be it, huh? An overdose? 
That's the way it looks to me. You better get her out of here, Henry. Yeah. Miss Maxford? Come on, Miss Maxford. Yes, Sergeant. It's all right. It's all right now. We'll have one of the other men drive you home. We can take care of whatever has to be done here. He was a good boy, Sergeant. He was smart. How'd he ever get started in such a thing? How'd he ever make such a mistake? Well, he's got the best excuse in the world, miss. Yes. He was 17. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On May 2nd, a coroner's inquest was held at the county morgue, Hall of Justice, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that inquest. At the inquest, the coroner's jury ruled that 17-year-old John Andrew Demering had administered himself an overdose of narcotics and thus had taken his own life. All others involved in the juvenile narcotics ring, a total of eight persons, were tried and convicted under the State Narcotics Act. They received sentences as prescribed by law and are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Counter Spy, next on NBC. That is Dragnet with the Big 17 from September 6, 1951, starring Jack Webb. Also, Barton Yarborough in that cast. Hope you enjoyed that. Dragnet. I always like Dragnet. So realistic and so interesting. And, of course, it had a very long run on television, too. Right. It started as a black and white show and then moved to color. There's I also did movies used to watch that. all kinds sure. of stuff. Hey, I got a joke for you. Hey, Mike, okay. you ready? Go for it. Okay. So why should you never break up a group of mimes? Mimes? Yeah, mimes. Um, you know, Mike? No idea. No. Because they will do unspeakable things to you. A friend of mine on my baseball team. Gotcha. <laughs> I said, can I use it on the air? He said, yep. So I thought, no I royalties paid for that no one. No royalties. <laughs> uh, okay, great. All right, time for this month in music history. <laughs> all right. So I am going with top songs of 2023. Mm. Mm. Okay. Let's listen to this one. I won't know any of them. Yeah, you will. Just dancing with my eyes closed. Never heard this song. What? You're under a rock then. I listen to classic rock. I don't listen to anything new. Can you take a guess as to who that might be? Because you're pretty good with that. Is that a guy? It is. Harry Styles? No. This is Ed Sheeran. Oh, Ed Sheeran. He's got a new album out. But this is from um, his album called Subtract. It was released in March of 2023. Subtract? Subtract. Okay. Uh, That's not from his new album that just came out uh, just a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago. He's very talented. He wrote this, of course. His new album is about his his wife and her um, troubles, medical issues that she's gone through. But um, 
It's a great Why song. Why does everybody got to make a song out of everything? He, he, he writes like, about his life. He's like, very sensitive. Oh, my wife had all this stuff wrong with her. I don't mean write a song about that. Well, and, she, had, she had cancer, and yeah. so he was writing yeah, about what they write. went through. Oh, well, yeah, he wrote about his life and his feelings. Yeah, I guess. He's more sensitive than you are. Song, he's, <laughs> he's got a heart, I guess. That's exactly what I'm saying. He has a heart. And, he, right. and yeah. he's in love. Yeah. So. I'm like the Tin Man. I don't have a heart, I, I guess, know. right? Is that, what, is that what you're saying, Lisa? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's basically in a nice way what she's saying. He's she said. very sensitive. Oh, all right. Sensitive. It's a good song. Hey, <laughs> okay. All right, thanks, Lisa. More of Hollywood 360 after this break. So I'll keep dancing with my... More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. In our next hour, Willard Waterman stars as the great Gildersleeve. But first, we need a caller to play Beat the Host. That's right. It's all about Adele. She's just turned 35. And if you are familiar with Adele and any of her songs, give us a call, play the game, be on the air, and beat the host. 312-642-5600. Looking for caller number six. It's not going to be hard to beat the host because no, I don't think I not. know even one Adele song. Because they're sensitive songs. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.